0: Our reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel. I will be reading chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. July 1st is always a big day in the United Methodist Church. It is a day when we... uh, Uh, transition pastors and start new appointments. I am today beginning my third year of ministry with you, but it really just feels like I've finished my second year. Um, But all over our our denomination, churches are receiving new pastors and new ministries are beginning. Um, And so it's an important day. Well, I was at annual conference this past uh, few weeks ago, Uh, I was thinking a lot about our Methodist roots and thinking about what it means to be United Methodist today. Some of you that are are following the United Methodist world uh, know that we are in a lot of transition right now and a lot of discernment about where God will leave the church next. And so I thought we would do a few weeks this summer of just talking about who we are as disciples of Christ in the Wesleyan tradition You may not know, well, so John Wesley was born in England in 1703, and his life, he died in uh, 1791, I believe, so he lived pretty much that entire century, and that century uh, in his life was also a rather momentous century in the life of what became the United States, Our Wesleyan roots in the United States are as old as the country itself. Uh, Methodists have been in the country since about the 1740s or 50s. As I said, John Wesley was an Anglican uh, Church of England priest. Church of England, you might recall, is headed by the monarch, the king or the queen, as the case may be. And so As a priest in the Church of England, Wesley reported to the Archbishop of Canterbury, but then also to the king. So, in our country, when we wrote that lovely Declaration of Independence and sent it off to the king, one of the side consequences that happened there was the king pulled out all of his uh, representatives in the colonies— which included all of the priests. So suddenly there were all of these colonists that had no access to the sacraments, to baptism, to communion, and the Methodist movement had already taken hold all over the land. There were, there were Methodist um, gatherings. We were not a separate denomination. We were part of the Church of England. We were a revival movement within the Church of England. But suddenly there were no priests on the colonies. There was nobody to to lead the church. And so Wesley, in great distress and despair, begged the, the Archbishop of Canterbury to ordain some people to go and serve and continue to serve in the colonies, but he declined because we were at war. Uh, and so, um, so Wesley, in great distress, ordained... Uh, uh, Coke and Asbury, to be the original uh, bishops in the colony. So you can see, uh, that was in, uh, I think, 1784. So you can see that we are so rooted in this country's history, and indeed, if, if you pay attention to the way the United Methodist Church is organized, we have an executive, a judicial, and a legislative branch just like uh, the United States. So many simu- similarities there, um, uh, we'll talk more about that later, but uh, it seems on this this weekend when we're thinking about the birth of our nation to know that the Methodist Church has been here since, well, since before we even began. That's that's how rooted we are. Now, Wesley, Wesley was a prolific writer, writer of hymns. Certainly, we sing many of his hymns. He was a prolific writer of sermons. I will not bore you by reading his sermons because they are rather dense uh, and full of theology, but not much of his theology was unique to Wesley. He was pretty Anglican, and so what he preached and taught was, was pretty orthodox, just pretty par for the course for those in the Protestant tradition. Where he was unique was that he really, really emphasized grace. That is the grace of God that goes before us, the grace of God that surrounds us each day of our lives. And so we're going to be talking over the next few weeks about the different ways that Wesley defined grace, starting today with prevenient grace. That word is uh, printed there in your bulletin if you've never seen that word before. Prevenient, the word, uh, uh, refers to a grace that comes before us. Before we even knew that God was at work in our lives, God was at work in our lives. And so Wesley referred to this grace as provenient grace. If if he were he, he pulled this idea from John uh, one nine uh, that says, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Wesley believed that all of us all of us here all of us out there all of us everywhere we're already enlightened with the love and the image of God in us indeed we affirm that even at our very creation that we are all created in the image of God you and me and every other person on this planet created imbued imprinted in the very fiber and soul of our being We are created in the image of God. Look around at your neighbors. God is within them. God's grace is a part of their lives. The scripture reference this morning that uh, Andrea read from Mark's gospel was Jesus calling the disciples. Jesus just called Simon and Andrew and said, come and follow me. I'll make you fish fishermen. They hadn't done anything. They had not said, hey, Jesus, we want to follow you. They hadn't offered anything. They hadn't had, a, had a, a, an experience of being converted or transformed or anything like that. They hadn't done anything to earn this calling. They simply responded. That's grace. That's grace that goes before us. Wesley said that every moment of our lives, God's grace is at work. Whether we recognize it or not, he described it as a, as a house where every room is lit and welcoming and the doors and windows are wide open, all we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is enter that threshold because the door is already open. In fact, it's why we in the United Methodist Church practice what's called an open table. It means that the table... The communion table is open to everyone. You don't need to even understand what it means. You don't need to repent of your sin before you get to the table. You don't need to, to fill out any list. You don't need to tie it to the church. You don't need to, you know, do a whole bunch of stuff. You just simply need to come because God's grace is already available to us. So this is a... a all churches understand grace. It's, it's sort of fundamental to Christian theology, I hope. But in our Wesleyan tradition, we just root ourselves in that, in everything that we do. We don't, we don't require a litmus test of, of forms and checkboxes, but we say that God is already at work in your life. God is already calling to you, seeking to you, Seeking every person on this planet, God's grace is filling them. And so today I want to invite you to just um, to be still. We're going to just say a, a short prayer together. God, your holy Spirit weaves through every aspect of creation. Your Holy Spirit has been hovering over us since before we were born. You called us and every other person. God, you called us and you created us in your image. Help us, God, to know that, to know that incredible peace that incredible gift of grace that you have given us. We didn't earn it. We didn't seek it. But you are a God of compassion and mercy, a God that sees us and that loves us. And so, God, help us to receive that gift with gratitude. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.